Father, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you that you have given us life through your son, Jesus. And we lift him up and we lift up his name and the power of his name and his, his blood. And we just pronounce it over every person here. And we just release it over this city. Father, we just asking, we're asking for a greater outpouring of your presence and reformation of the hearts of men to bring forth your glory, that Revelation 4.11 would be established, multiplied, completely fulfilled in our generation and those that don't understand and those that aren't here and those that aren't ready I pray that the seed go into their hearts and that Lord in the time and the seasons appropriated unto you and your wisdom and your counsel it would come forth into a manifestation of glory unto you and that those in this place Father would hear the word of God and it would establish itself in its heart in their heart Lord and that you would receive the reward of your sufferings in them We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this opportunity to meet. We thank you for healing being released over the the nation. And we thank you for the things that we can't see, but we know are real. And we call them into being those things that are not as though they are. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you all. Thank you all for being patient with us as we pray for those up here. And um, those of you who have children, if you if you want to send them back to Sunday school with Miss Heather and and those who are helping, you can you can do that. And if you want to keep your kids with you, you can do that. Um, we're okay either way. I think children are a blessing. I don't think they're a distraction. I feel like if children distract you, then that's your problem. That's my opinion, but um, I I, uh, I want you to just be patient with me this morning. I, I've I've um, got some things on my heart for this year, and I was going to speak on something different, um, but as I was driving up this morning, I uh, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to revive this and bring this back again. Um, for those of you who have been with us over the New Year's um, service in our home groups, you've heard me touch on a little bit of this, so you're going to get a little bit more today and a recap of, of what you've already heard. Those of you who weren't there and haven't been here, you're going to hear my heart for the year and what I feel like God is saying. Um, are you guys okay? Yeah? All right. If you, if you would... Um, we're going we're gonna to bounce around today, so, so if you can be ready with your Bibles, otherwise you can just follow along, and hopefully Emily's fast on the draw back there, and we'll, we'll figure out where we're, where we're going. Um, I appreciate every one of you. I feel like the Lord is um, going to do some great things, and I also feel like there's a lot of people in here who are living in a way that God's not getting His ultimate glory out of your life, but He... But he's got, he's got some things in the works for you to help you get to that point. 
there's some people that are on their face and they want God with all their heart. And then there's others who are kind of in the valley of decision. They love Jesus. They're saved. But they're kind of taking up spiritual space. They're not really, they're not really impacting either realm. And um, if you're not making an impact, that's a dangerous place to be because you will be impacted. Does that make sense? So I just want to share some things on my heart this morning, and it may not go the way I think it's going to go, but I still feel like it's going to be important. I don't know how dynamic I'll get. So, but if you came for a show, you came for the wrong place. So I, I felt like um, the Lord gave me a word for 2022 for us. I don't, I'm not saying it's it's something that's going to be corporately prophetic or anything like that. I just know that for us, for this church, he gave me a word. That though it's, it's actually two words, but it's a thought. And that thought, I'm going to try to undress it and unpack it here this morning and, and, and make it more palatable and understandable. So the, what he spoke to me was one thing. That's what he spoke for 2022, one thing. I think there... The new year comes around, and we, we get to a point where we're trying to make resolutions, and we know how all that goes, right? Everybody, anybody ever actually kept a resolution? One person. Yeah, she needs to lay hands on all of us. <laughs> I'm terrible at resolutions, and I quit, because I feel, I feel like, you know, resolutions are a human attempt to be better at something that God probably even didn't even call you into. And if he did call you into it, human effort is not going to get you to where you need to be. God doesn't accept any man's work at all. I don't care how holy you think you are. You're only as righteous as Jesus' blood, and that's it. And that's pretty righteous. So I want to focus on one thing this year, and I feel like anybody who's not focusing on that one thing is going to have the opportunity to focus on it. And I feel like anything else that's in that, the way of, of, of that word you're going to have opportunities this year to deal with it. However, God will not force us to be important to us. You serve a, a divine being who's a gentleman. And God's not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. He gives you complete liberty. He gives you so much liberty that you can go to hell with it. Does that make sense? God loves people all the way into hell. But he will not stop you from making your choices and your decisions. He just won't do it. He's a gentleman. I love the story when Jesus gets up from the grave and he's walking around and people see him and the two guys are on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is talking with them and they don't even know who he is and their hearts are burning inside of them. And then it gets close to evening and they pull off and like they're going to they're going to go inside to this little hotel type thing. And Jesus keeps on walking. Do you know why? Because he's not going to force himself into your life. He always waits for an invitation. And they stopped him and said, no, you come stay with us. And it's amazing that just that one request caused God to change directions and impact their life in such a way that it changed them for forever. Their change was predicated on the invitation they gave him. How many of you want to change? Your change hinges upon your invitation to God in your life. 
period. Everybody in this room this year will decide what the one thing is for them that's the most important. I won't decide it. Your kids won't decide it. Your husband, your wife won't decide it. Your mother, your parents won't decide it. You will decide what is the most important thing in your life this year. And it will be what you focus on, what you give your attention to, and what you hold your gaze upon. You with me? If you try to change your life for God, without God, you'll end up with neither. Only God can change your heart, but it takes the invitation. And that's what many of you are waiting on. Some of you have reached some plateaus in your life where you're stuck. You just, you're stuck. You're the same person you were five years ago. You may have some theological advancements that you can kind of call yours, some experiences that you've had happen in your life in church and ministry or revival or whatever it might be in the past that say God met me here and God met me there. But since those points and since those days, you're just, you're just existing. You're, just, you're, you're the same person. You're the same person to your husband, to your wife, to your kids. To your, you're, just, you're just the same person. And I don't see anywhere in the Scripture where we're supposed to stay stagnant in one place for very long. We're supposed to go from glory to glory, strength to strength, pressing forward to the, to the image and the calling of Jesus Christ. And if that hasn't happened in you, it's because you've decided not to. Period. You're choking on your theology of yesterday. Because that can't feed you today. What God did in the past has no substance for your future other than his cross. If you're living on a salvific experience that happened to you 10, 15, 20 years ago and you haven't met Jesus recently and you're on your face before him, then you're in religion. It's real quiet. It's real quiet. I hope so. I hope I'm not getting everybody offended within the first 10 minutes. Because <laughs> in the rest of the sermon, I don't know what we're going to do. All right. I want you to understand that the heart can only be influenced by a surrendered posture. If your heart needs influence from Jesus, the only way it's going to happen is from a posture of surrender. Surrender invites God into the places we formerly despised Him being present. And we won't say we despise him being present in our life because that's theologically wrong. We won't admit that. But when we actually live our life in a way where we do not lay down our rights, we're keeping God from being God in those areas of our heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus was a servant. He still is a servant. He will always be a king who serves. And when he laid down his life, he laid it down in fullness for all of us, so that we might, in turn, lay our life down in fullness for Him. Every partial life surrendered at the great white throne judgment will be seen as for what it really is, a heart that only loved Jesus in portion. That's going to be a very damning day for a lot of people because they're going to see the amount of love that God has for them and they're going to be able to compare that with the amount of love they had for Him and the two are going to be completely worlds apart. How we know we love the Lord determines, is determined by our level of sacrifice for Him and for others. A self-consumed life has no ability to sacrifice for anything other than itself. Does this make sense? When we lack sacrifice, 
an influx of demonic attachments begin to come to our life and our heart. And then we have to begin to justify those attachments and call them theologically okay because we are interested in pursuing those things instead of pursuing him. Our one thing has been changed and shifted from him to something else. Do you know that you can love God and not have him as the foremost important structure of your entire life? You can love God and love other things. You can love God and he can be a very close second in your life. So close that it's a photo finish. Like, I don't know, is God really first in my life or is my kids first in my life? Is God really first in my life or is my money first in my life? I love God. I'm not saying you don't, but do you love him more than anything else? Your level of surrender and sacrifice determines that value of love. Does that make sense? Okay. How many of you guys have been following Jesus for a while? Do you realize that that doesn't do anything for you for tomorrow? And that there is a level of sacrifice that you can adhere to and accomplish and lay down and surrender that will bring you into a form, another glory that you have no clue even exists yet, that will completely overshadow everything you've ever experienced in the past? Do you know what's keeping you from that? You. Me for me. You for you. Us. Okay, what we want, what we want to see happen, what we want to have. Okay, so I want you to turn to, uh, well, you don't have to turn there. We're just going to read one verse from Proverbs 4.23. I want you to, we're going to start with this. And I want to just show you some things in Scripture that I believe Jesus outlines. And I'm not going to have time to go into it all, right? But in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. My inability to keep my heart results in a life being uh, contaminated by something other than life itself. Does that make sense? It's my job to keep my heart, not his. My job is to keep my heart pure. My job is to make sure my heart is focused on one thing. It's not my neighbor's job, it's not my pastor's job, it's not my wife's job, it's not my kid's job. It's your job, my job, to keep your heart from everything that would try to distract you from him. Those who are distracted by things of the world, and I, I mean, I'm not saying we don't have to, we have to work, guys, but work is not your purpose. You need to ask yourself a question this year. Why am I alive? Why do I breathe the oxygen of earth? Why does God have me here? Why do I exist? You really need to ask that question. Why am I here? If it's just to pay taxes and work and die, you have missed your, the entire point of life. Why are you alive? You're alive to keep the purposes of your heart that God established for you and his plans that he's given you as a singular focus, completely focused on him. You're alive to glorify his name. That's why you're alive. Everybody in here has a purpose and a calling from God, and it's not generic. It's not something, well, God has a plan for your life, like it's some sort of ethereal idea that nobody ever can put, you know, put to paper and say, this is what it is. There is a plan to glorify his name from your life. You are the only one that can do it. And if you don't do it, he doesn't receive it, ever. And you've chosen to rob God of the very reason why he put you on this earth. 
I don't care your condition, your history, your past, your present. I don't care anything that's happened to you, that hasn't happened to you, what you're waiting for, what you haven't waited for. God has a plan for your life. And if you don't accomplish that plan, that plan and that glory that he would have received never is, is never received for eternity without end because you chose not to do what you were supposed to do with your life that he gave you. Only you can do it. You can't do mine. I can't do yours. You with me? So why are you alive? Why are you alive for 2022? Are, are you here just to make more money this year? Are, are you, most people's entire life focuses around what they want to have for themselves. We want like our children to be right and to get fixed so that we don't have to go through all that struggle and trial that they put us through. Right? We want our husbands and our spouses fixed so that way they don't have to pressure us as much and we can be, you know, feel better about what's going on. And, our, and my husband's not such a, a jerk anymore or my wife's not such a, a whatever anymore. But it's not about for the glory of God. We want those things changed and fixed so that we feel better about it. It revolves around us. That's when Christianity gets very confusing when everything revolves around what we're doing and what we, what we want. The, the essence of life is not about what you want. It's about what you can surrender for him so that he can glorify himself through your circumstance that you're actually wanting to be freed from. You know, God puts you in hard places because that's where you can glorify him the most. And then you're praying for it to be released from the very thing that's going to give him the greatest glory because you've, you and I get selfish so much and we, we just want what we want to be alleviated from our circumstances and our circumstances are the very opportunity that, that we're praying for to give God the glory he, he wants from our life. Does this make sense to you? Keep your heart. Keep your heart. How does, how does the devil get access to your heart the same way he got access to Adam and Eve? There's a lot of things that devil uses to be able to get access to you. I don't have time to go into them. But it's by changing your focus onto something else other than him, other than what he said, other than what God has planned for you. You with me? All right. So keep your heart. Why? Because in Mark 7, 21 through 23, it says this, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts. This is where adultery comes from, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deception, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, all these things come from within the heart and defile people. And James says it this way. He says, every, when, but when every man is tempted, he's drawn away from his own lust and enticed, male and female, right? And then when that lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when it's finished, it brings forth death. What's the Bible saying? It says the things that are going wrong in your life are more internal issues than they are external. The external just aggravates the internal that's already there. With me? You understand what I'm saying? If a dead man is taken to a bar, do you think he's going to be tempted to drink? Why? Because there's no life in him for that. It is dead. There's nothing on the inside that facilitates the need to be involved in those things. You with me? If you take a, a dead man and, and take him to a, a, a lewd club, do you think that there's going to be anything in that man that wants, to be, that wants to be involved in that? 
Why? Because he's, there's nothing on the inside that produces the life. What the Bible's saying here, we have to keep our heart. Why? Because within our heart is where the things that come from that keep us from where we actually want to be. The things that are wrong inside of you are wrong there because we haven't surrendered that part of our heart to God yet. There's a lot of people who've been saved, but a lot of people who are saved keep their heart from the Lord. They reserve these places inside of who they are for themselves and what they want for selfish reasons. And then out of their own life becomes all these things that they actually want prayer for at the altar. And then it doesn't work because they haven't surrendered. You with me? Adulteries, all these things. It says these things. A man is, is tempted in James 1.14. He's tempted. He's drawn away from his own lust. You get what I'm saying? It's not from the outside. The devil's not coming and doing it. He's drawn away and tempted from what's inside of him. What's already inside of him. For women, it's fear. For men, it's lust. The fear that's inside of you is pulling you away and shifting your focus from something off of your one thing, your one reason for living and putting it on something else. I felt like God told me this year, I want you to focus on one thing and just me, just one thing. Not your fear, not your circumstances, not your bad marriage, not your children, not your money, not anything. I, w- I don't want you to be perverted. I want this one thing to be the focus of this year. Because everything else that comes out of your heart will be dealt with if you keep him the focus. But if you try to deal with these things without keeping him the focus, these things will ruin you. At the very best, you'll create a cycle of religion to try to keep them at bay, arrested, but they will constantly break out of jail and torment you. You can't fix yourself, only he can. But how many times we think, you know, I'm going to do better this week, I'm going to do better this week, I'm going to do better this week, and guess what? We don't. So a lack of dealing with our own hearts is a result in an abundance of the things that we wish we were free from. If we don't deal with the things that are inside us, it creates an abundance of things we actually wish we never had to deal with. And yet what's happening is, is that because we're not dealing with God and letting him deal with our hearts, we're creating a cycle where we're dealing with ourselves, but it's never getting dealt with because we're the ones doing it, and then it creates this cycle of performance. You with me? I'm just trying to say, set some groundwork here for, for what I feel like... Um, this year and where, where God's taking us. I want you to turn to Matthew 6.21. We're going to camp here for just a second. This is where this started from for me. I was praying probably back in December, a few months ago, a month and a half ago. And I came across this verse and I started looking and tearing apart some words and it really just helped me understand some things and I want to share it with you. I really want to challenge you guys to ask yourself right now, what is, what is the most important thing in my life? And it's really easy theologically because you're in church to say, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who, if you would say that, you'd probably be lying. Matthew 6.21, we're going to read through, through verses 24. <laughs> And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Do you notice that he doesn't dictate what the treasure is? You get to do that. You decide what's valuable. I can't help you decide what's valuable. 
Whatever you decide what is valuable, that's where your heart's going to be. If it's money, then that's where your heart is. See, isn't, isn't it amazing that he doesn't determine the value? God lets you determine the value. And then he honors where you decide to place it. Does this make sense? He says this, verse 22, this is interesting to me. I never really understood this verse until recently, but he says, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, this is what the, the King, there's many different translations to this word, but the King James translates it as single. When you break it down in the Greek, it's comprised of two words. But it says, if the eye of the body is, is, is single, then your whole body shall be full of light. And that's one of those verses you read, people go, huh? You know, what does that mean? But here's the thing. You guys understand, I've taught this before, that we don't see with our eyes. We see with our minds, okay? Our brains are at what actually see. Our eyes are just a lens, okay? So how we interpret life depends on how we think, okay? Wrong thinking will result in wrong seeing. If you walk into a scenario already offended, you're never going to see truth, if you're expecting to see one, one thing, you're never going to see anything but that one thing because you've predisposed to seeing that. So if you've decided in a situation or a relationship or whatever it might be that you're already bent toward one direction, when you get into that situation, that's exactly how you're going to respond. Right? With me? He says this. He says, so the, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, then your whole body should be full of light. Now, this word single is broken down to two words in the Greek. And I don't remember what the second one is, but I'll tell you what it means. The first word it's comprised of is the word alpha, which is the beginning, the genesis, the origin. The second word means to be folded together. Right? So this word is comprised of two words joined together. It means the alpha folded together. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is that if your eye, if your vision, if your thought process is focused on one thing, and what is that one thing? It's the origin of what God intended for your life folded into your now. Then everything in your life, in your life that you do is going to be full of light. It's going to be walking in truth. In other words, it, say, it says this. If the reason why I made you isn't still the reason why you're living, then you're walking in darkness. See, the alpha or the origin of your life, the genesis and what God made you, the original intent of who he is, is the only place you're ever going to be satisfied. Everything else is not going to satisfy you. You'll figure that out one day. Some of you already have. You understand what I'm saying? He says, if your eye is single, if your thought process and the reason that you're alive is the same reason why I originally birthed you and made you and created you for the one thing, me, and you have that origin, that genesis, that, that, that alpha folded into your now, then you're going to be walking in light. It's when we change the origin, we change the focus, we change the one thing, we change the reason why we're alive to being something else, relationships, money, uh, jobs, success, and that can be even in ministry. When we change that, we're altering the alpha of our life. We're altering that place of the origin, what God intended for you and I to be, and we're folding something else together into that. We're kneading it together and making it one, and then all of a sudden we're operating and living in a way that God never intended us to live, and then we wonder why things don't make sense. 
When you get away from your origin, you're going to get away from your peace. That didn't, yeah. People wonder why they don't have peace in their life, and it's because they're living for something that they weren't created for. Do you realize that you can live for things and, and, and not really realize you've become obsessed with living for them because they're justifiable? That's one of the plans that the enemy does is, is he justifies what you have to do in order to get you to do what you shouldn't do. He shows, he shows Eve the fruit, right? And it says when she saw it, she saw that it was good for food. There's the justification. Does she need to eat? Yeah. Yeah, she needs to eat. And then she saw that it was good to make one wise. Do we need wisdom? Yeah. Yeah, so we justify those things. So when the enemy comes to you, he causes us to see things and justify the things that are necessary, yet he puts them in a different category of, of utmost importance. Most men end up working their whole lives for money. They don't even realize that that's what they're doing because they have to provide. They have to provide for their families. And should, do men have to provide for their families? Is that the reason why they're alive? But it becomes the reason why they're alive. Why? Because they're not keeping their heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. It's amazing to me how many people lose their heart between Monday and Saturday. And then Sunday they have to come back to church just to readjust. Because they've lost the reason why they're alive. They haven't kept the one thing, the one thing. They've moved away from the singleness of the focus of their life. They've moved away from the alpha and the origin of why God made them to be alive in the first place, and they folded something else into that, and they've taken away the beginning and replaced it with something that was never meant to be there, and then they wonder why everything's chaotic. They wonder why they can't get ahead. They wonder why the bills keep piling up. They wonder why they're not happy. They wonder why, and then they'll begin to seek other things. This is why we have things like adultery and fornication, because people get dissatisfied with where they're at because they're not walking in the truth that God has for them to walk in. They've altered the reason why they're alive, so therefore they try to displace this issue that they've got in their life with something that's going to be more fulfilling. And they get a wandering eye, male and female alike. Does it make sense to you? He says, if your eye is single, then it should be full of light. But if your eye is evil, if your thought process, if the lens of which you see the world is living in a way that's not originally intended for me to live, for you to live in, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. Do you realize you can do good, godly things and walk in complete darkness? Complete darkness. You can provide for your family, which is a good thing. But if you've lost the focus and the reason why you're alive, then you're walking in darkness. Does this make sense to you guys? I want to make this practical. I'm not, I'm, I know I'm not in my normal mode this morning, but I, I just felt like this morning I, I, God wanted me to sh- share with you guys that this is the one thing he wants this year. And, and here's the thing. Just because I preach a sermon on it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Everybody has the personal responsibility to go home and keep the one thing the one thing. And if you don't, that is your choice. And guess what? When God honors a bad choice, it's scary. That God would honor my disobedience. He will. When God puts power to your rebellion, it's not a good deal.
He says in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. In this context, he's talking about money, but it can be anything. And here's the thing. There's so many Christians that are serving two masters. If today was your last day to live, how would you look back at your life? Would you have any regrets about how you spent your time? What would people say of you? Proverbs says, let another man praise you, doesn't it? Not your own words, not your own lips. Let another man praise you. On your deathbed, are they going to, be, are they going to know you as the moneymaker or the businessman or the construction worker? Or are they going to know you as the man of God sent from heaven who changed my life? The woman of God who represented the bride of Jesus so perfectly and purely that it incited just this hunger in my heart to be more vibrant and alive to the cross of the, of the Lamb. What, what, what memory are you going to have? I mean, your family's always going to be like, yeah, they were a good guy and we love them and we miss them so much. But see, the greatest influence of your life is never going to be within your own blood. It's, it's going to be on the outside. Your blood is just DNA genetically predisposed to love you regardless of how bad you can be. Have you made an impact beyond your own form no more? Have you made an impact beyond those walls? Have you changed people's lives? Have you lived for something other than yourself? Let's go to Matthew or Mark chapter 10. Verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 17. I just want to lay this out for you guys. This is real practical this morning. I'm just trying to let you know that this is where the rubber meets the road this year. You are the one, week after week, they're going to have to begin to feel, feel out for yourself what the most important thing for you is, the most important thing for your family. Can you get verse 17 up there for me? You got it? Yep. So this is talking about Jesus. Now he was on the road. One came running and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So this guy comes to Jesus, interrupts his entire life. You all know the story, right? The guy's rich. We don't know that yet because we haven't read that far, even though we have. But he's rich. He's got a lot of money. He's made a lot of success. He's got a lot of things. He's got all the stuff that you and I want. That's why you should go read Ecclesiastes because Solomon had everything and it didn't fulfill him. Everything. Everything you're working for in your life, he had it. Houses of gold. You know, he had like what? 400 wives and 600 concubines. He had a thousand women. It's way too much. <laughs> One's good for me. He had everything. He had everything. And he was hollow in his heart. So this guy comes to him, and he says, what do I do that I might inherit eternal life? Next verse, please. And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. He's seeing if he's acknowledging him as, as, as God or not. Next verse. Just keep them, keep them rolling. You know the commandments. Do not, adulter, do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Next one. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've done since my youth. All these things. I mean, can you imagine a guy growing up that has never committed any of the, the, the cardinal sins of life? I mean, you, you want this guy to marry your daughter. He's rich. He's moral. He's faithful. 
He's hungry. He's pursuing the Lord. Come on in, you know. Be my neighbor. Come to my church. This guy, we want him on our our board of directors. You with me? He says, I've done all these things. And then Jesus looking at him and loved him and said to him, one thing. One thing you lack. He says, in another version, I think it's Matthew's Gospel, maybe Luke's, it says, if, if you want to be perfect, go and sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. See, Jesus sees something we don't see. We're ready to put this guy as the pastor of our church. And Jesus looks at him and says, the one thing that you need in your life is the one thing you do not have. Now, and he says he was sad at his word because he went away sorrowful and he had great possessions. Now, are we saying that we have to sell everything? Is that what it's saying? No, what it's saying is, is there is something in your life that is more important to you than the sacrifice that God's asking. For everybody, it's different. There's not a person in this room. I don't care where you think you are. There's not a person in this room. There's one thing in your life that is keeping you from where God wants you to be next, and you're going to go nowhere until that thing is surrendered and sacrificed, myself included. There's one thing, one thing that's needful. One thing. You with me? See, to, to leave our own one thing, whatever that is for us, to leave that, and to have that one thing, you know, in our life, we, we've got to sacrifice the temporal thing that we don't want to get rid of to embrace the eternal thing he wants to, he wants to grant. I, you know how many mothers I know that, that idolize their children? They're idols in their life. Should mothers take care of their kids? Absolutely. But should idolatry ever be involved in a mother's life for their children? Because now they become your God. And God is a close second. How many of you, you ladies love your kids? I love my kids. But I refuse to let my, my children be my idol. Because guess what? They're actually not mine anyway. God doesn't have any grandchildren. When I go to heaven, I will not be married nor will I be a father. I will be an individual before God, and so will they. They will be his sons and his daughters. They're just on loan. And for me to be uber-possessive of them is, is to do nothing more than to ruin them and myself at the same time. That's what idolatry does. It not only ruins the follower, but it also ruins yourself. You with me? One thing. The Bible says examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. You need to stop at some point and ask yourself, what is the most important thing in my life? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I exist? You with me? Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We're going to start there. It came to pass, this is Luke 10, 38. It came to pass as they went that Jesus entered into a certain village and a woman named Martha received him into her house. Verse 39, she had a sister named Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
But Martha was encumbered with much serving and came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. It's amazing in Christianity how many times we try to give stuff to God he never asked for. There's one thing he wants from you. It's not ministry and outreach and evangelism. and It's for you to lay at his feet. And then when you get in that place, you'll naturally do all those other things. It'll just come out when the time's right. And Jesus answered. This is Jesus speaking. He said, he's answered, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things. Verse 42. But one thing is needful. One thing. One thing is needful. The rest of it, I think there's so much of our relationship with God that's ruined by our trying to serve Him instead of just be with Him. When's the last time you sat on your face and just wept because you just love Him so much? When's the last time that's happened? Forget what church you go to and what you believe and what doctrines you think you possess and what hermeneutical approach you have to Scripture. When's the last time you just stayed on your face and just said, God, thank you for loving me? Thank you for taking time to rescue someone like me. My heart belongs to you. I don't want to be distracted by anything else today. Though I have a lot to do, I want to do it with you, not for you. Oh, I got I to gotta go build my business and finish my house and do this and do that. And You know, there's a story that Jesus told. He invited a bunch of people to come to a party he was having. And everybody made excuses why they couldn't be there. All legitimate things. I just married a new wife. I got to go be with her. I just bought some land. I got to go prove it. I just bought a new car, which for them was a a team of oxen. I got to go take care of it and get it registered. I can't make it today, Jesus. I I can't make it today. I got stuff to do. I got stuff to do for you. Can't make it today. One thing, he said, is needful, and Mary has chosen this good part. And this will never be taken away from her. Do you know that this is so powerful? Because 2,000 some odd years later, we now have Martha's name to use in a negative standpoint. And Mary's to use in a positive standpoint. Forever, eternally, branded throughout all time, because the Word of God will last for forever. The idea of Martha... Because of one woman's choice of focusing on something she was not created for. Ruined her name for forever. You know, there's people that will stand before God and they'll have so many regrets. The Bible says God's going to have to wipe away the tears from their eyes. It's because they're going to realize, oh my God, I lived for something that was completely stupid. And not only is it not here... 
It's not even valuable to me in my heart anymore. See, everybody thinks of the pastor and the leadership team and the worship team. They need to be the ones that are on fire for Jesus. And I can go out and just be a... I can just live my life as an American and just be good. Your job is your mission field. And God believes... God believes that you have the ability to save everybody in that building. You just choose not to. Because you're afraid of how they're going to perceive you. Let me ask you this. Are they going to be there the day you die? Will they be there in the back going, Hey, Jesus, you need to let him in because he's a good guy. I worked with him. There's only one thing that's going to matter on that one day. It's not going to be my word. It's not going to be your word. It's going to be his. One thing. Philippians 3.12, I'm going to this be the last verse I go through. This is Paul talking, and this is somewhat toward the, the back end of his life. And he says, not as though I've already attained... And I'm not already perfect, but I follow after so that I might apprehend the thing which I am also apprehended of in Christ. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not count myself to have already apprehended, but this one thing I do. This one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind And I reach forward into the things which are before. And I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do. Let's go back a couple verses. This one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. You know how many counseling sessions I have? And almost 100% of them are based upon things that happened yesterday. Who you were yesterday. Who hurt you yesterday. Who offended you yesterday. Who betrayed you yesterday. Who, who you betrayed yesterday who you hurt yesterday. I don't have time to prove it to you, but in Scripture there's many things. The Bible says you own everything except the past. But it's the thing that we camp on the most. Anybody been hurt by church? Me too. You know what? I don't look at it, I don't think about it, and I don't blame the rest of the churches for it. It's not my excuse. It's not my excuse. I got kicked out of churches. I had pastors that hated me. It didn't stop me from loving Jesus because I had one thing that was more important than my pain, than my wounds, than my rejection. One thing. 
One thing I do, he says, I forget the things which are past behind me and I reach forward to the things which are ahead. What are you reaching for? What's your goal for 2022? Not a resolution. So what's your goal? Make more money? Get out of debt? Build a bigger house? Buy a better car? All needful things. That's what it should be. He says, let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded. Verse 15, he says, if you want to be perfect, think like this. Think like what? Forgetting things which are behind and moving forward into the things that God has for you for your future. The only thing you need to remember that's from the past is what Jesus did on the cross for you and for everyone else. That's it. It's the only legality you have to touch the past. Is the blood of Jesus Christ. One thing is needful. Do you want to be a Martha? Do you want to be a Mary? You decide. You'll come back next week and the week after next. And if you don't, you'll be somewhere else. But one thing will be real for your life. You'll be determining what that one thing is. And it's not to be a good Christian. God doesn't want good Christians. He doesn't even call us that. He calls us sons. He doesn't want people who perform. He wants people who are organic. Why? Because a son bears the DNA of the father. He doesn't have to try to act like him. He just is like him. Does it make sense to you? I don't have to try to act like Jesus in certain areas of my life. The areas in my life where I have to try to act like him, it's really simply because this, I have not surrendered that part of my heart to him. And if you don't surrender that part of your heart to God, you will create an imposter so that everybody else isn't fooled by your lack of sacrifice. You'll create a mask that looks religious, it looks holy, it can answer all the right questions, it can say yes at the right places you need to say yes, you can check all the right boxes, but in your heart you realize, you know, I'm a living hypocrite in this area of my life. That's what Leonard Ravenhill used to say, God could, send the church, could damn the church to hell for the lies it sings on Sunday morning. I surrender all. I don't know a person in this room that's surrendered all. We should change it to I surrender some, or I want to surrender all. We'd be more true. So I, I just, I, I don't, I know it's different for you guys who've heard me speak before, but this morning I just, I don't, I didn't want to come with this big, articulate, revelatory approach. I just want to make it simple that you have a choice this year to decide what's important to you. And if halfway through the year or three quarters of the way through the year you realize that the one thing that you should have, the one thing isn't the one thing, that's your opportunity of God saying right now, you need to repent. You need to change how you think. You need to turn around. Sometimes you need to be exposed by your own hand and that the circumstances that you're involved in are betraying you to yourself and you can see what's coming out of you that shouldn't be coming out of you and that's the invitation of God to change. It's not the invitation of hell to condemn you. It's God saying, I want to deal with this in your life. When you see your husband being a complete jerk, it's God's opportunity given to him 
to recognize how bad he's actually being so that he can turn that area over of his heart to Jesus. When you see it in yourself, it's God exposing who you are, saying you're not like me because you haven't surrendered to me in this area. If you surrender to me in this area, I'll deal with your heart. God, I want to be changed. Find that place of sacrifice and surrender. You find that place of value that you, change, that you desire in your life and begin to sit there until God moves. Every time in my life where I've gotten to a spiritual plateau where I needed to break through, every time in my life I've done this, I've stopped everything I was doing and I just changed my entire focus and I just laid at his feet for a while. I just laid there and I said, God, you do whatever you want. I'm, I'm, just, I'm erasing all my agendas. I'm erasing all my ministerial plans, all my sermons, everything that I think of. And I'm just, I'm here and I want you to do in me whatever it is you want to do. And then eventually what begins to happen over a period of a week or two of me just laying on my face, not constantly, but just taking time where I'm just on my face before him, he begins to expose my heart. And when he exposes my heart, it, it shows me where I'm not like him. And I say, thank you for showing me where I haven't surrendered. But you're never going to know, you're never going to know where you need to surrender until you are a Mary. If you're busy working for Jesus and trying to be better for him and reading your Bible and fasting and praying and doing all that kind of stuff and trying to be good enough for God, your heart's never going to be exposed. You're going to hide behind the religious mask of your life. Listen, God... God cares intimately more about you than he does your work. Your works will be pure if you focus on him. Watchman Nee used to say it like this. He said, God is more interested in the worker than the work. Because if he gets a pure worker, he'll have a pure work. He's more interested in you this year. He's more interested in your heart. He's more interested in what you're focused on. There's so many American Christians that are just focused on money. Just money. Just money. If you had to pie chart your importance level and everything you've done over the last three years, most of it would be you did it because you needed to make money. Do you realize you can make money as a byproduct and keep the one thing the one thing and it, it work out perfectly? Do you realize that's possible? Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be given to you. One thing. This is a, the hardest sermon for me to preach because I can't make you want what you should want. I have to watch you choose through the rest of this year the things that you choose, and I have to sit back almost helpless and the only thing I can do is pray and believe God for your heart. But it hurts people in ministry and leadership who have pure hearts to watch people choose things other than the one thing. Because you want it so bad for them. You know that if they'll just find that closet and they'll find that place again where they can just lay at Jesus' feet that they'll hear his voice and their life will change and all the religion will fall off and all the stuff just goes away and you look at them and go, what happened to you? <laughs> you look like you've been with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I found him again. Amen. You can stand, please. I just want to take a minute. I'm not going to, we, we had a time for prayer. I'm not going to do that again unless you need it. If you need it, come forward. 
but it's really just a moment for here for you just to stop in between you and God and just to go, go, Lord, I, I, maybe you need to say, I haven't, I haven't had the, the one thing that I have had to have focused in my life as the forefront of what I am. I, I've had something else there. If you look back over 2021, did, was your entire focus on just being with him? Or was it focused on him doing something for you? If, if, if your entire prayer life is asking God for things that he's already given you, you can be highly disappointed when he doesn't answer the prayers because he can't answer a prayer he's already answered. The Bible says you possess all things. What's the holdup? Us. It's our focus. It's why things aren't coming down the pipeline because we've inverted the gospel. We've turned it upside down. So I just want to take a minute for you to say, Lord, if this is you, just pray with me. Father, I ask you to forgive me for not keeping you as the focus of my life, for allowing distractions to come in, for allowing myself to be manipulated by things that are needful but not expedient. That God, I've turned my life and I haven't made the alpha, the origin, the genesis of what you've called me to do to be the one thing that you've called me to be. I've turned it into something else. I've, I've, I've minimized myself to just being a mother or just being a, a, a co-worker or just being a business owner or, or I've, I've, I've minimized myself to just being this or just being that when you've made me to be so much more and I've lost the focus of you. And Lord, I just ask that you'd forgive me for that. And I just, Holy Spirit, I ask you to just begin to push and touch on the areas of my heart that I haven't surrendered. And that when you do so, give me grace and mercy to be able to endure the feelings of conviction that I, that I have, that I'd turn it over to you and I would just re- surrender those areas of my life. I ask you to forgive me for being a Martha and for, at, for, for trying to be good enough. And I ask, Father, that your righteousness would just come right now and just wash me again by the blood. And I would just, by faith, enter into the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That I can be no more righteous than when I believe in the power of your blood. That you are my substitution. You are my advocate. You are my everything. You are my replacement. I am seen as, as, as holy in your image through Jesus Christ. And I accept that and I repent of my sin. And God, I ask you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to just change the reason why I live. And God, I'm asking for a hunger on these people to actually make this sermon real. God, that their hearts would, would, would burn for you again. That it wouldn't just be a sermon. They walk out and go, well, I guess i got to fix everything in my life again. But that, God, they would really have a heart that would want to just come before you and say, Jesus, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to change it, but you do, and I'm here. And I ask you to revive me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to reveal to me your heart. I ask to make this simple again instead of complicating it so much with all my needs. I'm asking that your heart would be satisfied by me, that you, we were created for your pleasure and for your glory we were made. So, Father, I'm praying for a grace and a mercy on this year over everybody in the sound of my voice that they would keep the one thing, the one thing. And they would not be distracted by things that are needful. They wouldn't justify the things that, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. But that, Father, their king, your kingdom would be their supreme focus. And they would make time for you. They would make time for others even if it means sacrificing their own for themselves. Give them-
them a heart to know you, God. I'm asking that you give them a heart to know you. And if it's not there, I ask right now that you put it in seed form and that it would come forth one day. It would come forth one day even when they're least expecting it. Because there's some people in this room that are hardened to you and they're not serving you. But I pray that the words that I've spoke, even if they don't ever remember a single one of them, go deep in their heart and they would not be stolen. That, Father, you would revive it in the future and bring it forth to your glory. I praise you, Father. I love you. I agree with these as they've prayed. I speak a blessing over your children. I speak a blessing of peace over them. And I ask, Father, for you to just walk with them and let them return to that place in the cool of the garden, not hiding, not ashamed, leaving those things that you're behind and pressing forward to the high calling, the high invitation that God has given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. We ask these things.